Welcome back to Inside Redemption. I'm Katiana Strunk, Redemption Church's Communication Director. Today's episode was actually previously recorded at our first ever Inside Redemption Live. You'll hear three different panel discussions with leaders from all across our redemption congregations. Um, You'll also hear reference to two resources. The first one is the document that we wrote, Redemption Church, Race and the Gospel, which you can find the link to that in our show notes. You'll also hear reference to a conversation about that document. It's about three hours long. It includes Luke Simmons, Tyler Johnson, and Seth Trout, and that's actually the previous episode in this podcast. We're really thankful for the way that God's led us through this conversation. We feel really, really blessed and excited with how the conversation went, and uh, we hope it blesses you. Well, good evening, and uh, we want to welcome you to Redemption Gilbert. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. Thrilled that you are here with us tonight. This is uh, our very first uh, live Inside Redemption. So Inside Redemption is a vehicle that we use to help people understand uh, why it is we do what we do and a little bit of who we are as a church. And so for our very first live version of that, we thought we'd start with something pretty simple like race and racial reconciliation. So um, we are thrilled that you are here uh, with us tonight. Obviously, this is a big topic in our world. This is a massive topic in our church and for our pastors and for um, our leaders. And so we're thankful for the time that we can have uh, to talk through this and explore this tonight. Uh, Now, some of you are here because you're wanting clarity on our convictions or what is it that you believe, and we're hoping that we can provide that tonight. And some of you are here because you're wanting some clarity on, well, what are we actually going to do about it? Or what are some of the steps that we're going to take, and we're hoping that we can be clear about uh, some of the things that are planned and some of the initiatives that we um, are wanting to uh, engage in as well. And some of you, uh, you're hoping uh, for something a little more chaotic. You're the kind of people who like to stop and look at car crashes. Uh, and, uh, and while it's so sweet of you to join us or to join us online, uh, we're actually hoping you're disappointed tonight. So we... Um, Seriously, though, we, uh, we, we would simply ask that you would uh, listen and lean in with uh, patience and grace uh, towards those who will be speaking uh, tonight, towards your brothers and sisters, and that in love you would believe the best about those who will be up here on the stage tonight. Um, you're likely to hear some things that you don't fully agree with, or you would have at least said it a different way, uh, and that's okay. We understand that. Uh, you need to know that everybody that you're going to hear from uh, tonight, they love Jesus deeply. They love his word, they love the gospel, they love people, and they work very hard uh, to make much of Jesus in the places and the people that God has put them with. Um, On a personal note, I just want to share this real quick and then I'll get off, but um, as we've been working through the gospel of John in our churches, week in and week out, I'm always struck uh, with the brilliance of Jesus. Meaning this, uh, the brilliant way in which uh, he teaches, the brilliant uh, way that his timing works, uh, the brilliant way that he navigates uh, tension wherever he goes. There's a brilliance and a wisdom um, about Jesus. And the Apostle Paul would write to the Ephesian church, and he would would say this, that, that God's intent was that the multifaceted wisdom, literally the multifaced wisdom of God, um, would be known through the church, which is one of the reasons that I love Redemption Church, because I get to be a part of that and I get to see that, this many-faced wisdom of God, that it would be known through the church 
to the authorities in heaven, a people who are reconciled to God and to one another and who've been given this ministry of reconciliation. It's a beautiful thing that God is allowing us to do and that God's doing in our midst for the fame of Jesus in our world. And so I want to just pray uh, and let that seed um, our time together. So if you would just uh, bow your head, close your eyes, let's pray together and just really ask um, for us to have an awareness of God's presence and power in this place. Um, I'm not uh, oblivious to the fact that there are distractions in the room. And if you're watching online, you might have distractions even in your own head and heart at this moment. So I'm going to ask God to bring um, a clarity and a calm and a peace to us uh, so that we can hear fully from him. Father in heaven, we love you. God, we are fearfully and wonderfully made by you. And God, we are loved by you in an extravagant way. And I'm praying tonight, God, um, that that love would be seen and heard, proclaimed, demonstrated here tonight on the stage. I thank you for the people that you have brought here. I thank you for the people who are watching this online. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come that there would be a spirit of peace, that there would be a spirit of understanding, that there would be a posture of humility and a posture of learning, and most of all, a posture of love. Jesus, we love you, um, and we want to make much of you in this moment. This is only and always about you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks, Paul. And uh, my welcome to you as well, for those of you that are watching online and uh, those of you that got to be here in the room. My name is Luke Simmons. I'm part of the executive team of Redemption Arizona, one of the pastors at Redemption Church Gateway. And um, we're going to have a few different conversations tonight. The first conversation we're going to have is going to be related to convictions. The second one we're going to have is going to be about prioritizing proximity, that we really can't engage with this issue from a distance. We have to actually know each other. And then the third conversation will be a little bit of a so what that I'll have with Tyler Johnson, who's kind of the movement leader of Redemption Arizona. So um, first, I want to um, just welcome these guys that are here uh, on the stage with me. Yeah, boy, they, they don't even know you guys yet, and they're clapping, so that's pretty cool. So from left to right, so Seth Trout is uh, part of the theology team for Redemption Arizona. There's a subset of pastors that really help kind of lead the way in thinking through theological issues. He's also on staff at Redemption Gateway. Wayne Winter, who's one of the lead pastors at Redemption Alhambra. All right, some people in the room like Wayne. I do too. Isn't Wayne great? And uh, Wayne, you got some big family news going right now. Pretty exciting. So my, you're about to be a, a grandpa. Yeah, my daughter is giving birth right now. So, right, do you need to leave? You're good. All right. So, so Grandpa Wayne, he, that's pretty cool. And then this is Chris Amaro. Chris is one of the lead pastors at Redemption West Mesa. Right. And last but not least, Frank Switzer from Redemption Arcadia. This is fun. This is like battle of the bands. Everyone's got to cheer for their cheer for their person. So we've called tonight Inside Redemption Live, and if you haven't kind of followed along with this, we've had a handful of Inside Redemption conversations that have been released and available on the Redemption Church Arizona webpage, our YouTube page, and then they're also now available on podcasts. So Spotify, Apple, anywhere you get your podcasts, you can check out Inside Redemption. And so this first live conversation, it will also be released 
released on those different uh, platforms as well. And uh, we want to have this first conversation, as I said, about convictions as it relates to the gospel and race. Now, this is really important, is there's a number of different places that we could start this conversation. You can start a conversation about race from the perspective of culture, and that leads you somewhere. You can start the conversation from a political place. You can start the conversation from an experiential place. You can start it from a relational place. What we want to try to do in this conversation is start it from a theological place. So we really want to try to say, what does the scripture say? What does the biblical story say that shapes our understanding of this issue. So I want to just be really clear that that's where we're coming from tonight. And that's important because if your starting point is one of those other places, you might hear things that we're not saying. You might assume things that we're not arguing for. And so just know as best we can. Now we're all influenced by our relationships and our experiences and our politics and our culture. Like we're not immune from that, but we're trying to come at it from a biblical and a theological perspective. So uh, what we want to do tonight is really kind of have the big picture summary conversation of how uh, the gospel and race are shaped by the biblical story. Now there's more details related to this that we want to make available to you. And so this, uh, this page has been released. It's an extended statement that has a summary as well as a series of 20 affirmations and denials related to this topic. What do we affirm? What do we argue for? And what are the things that we strongly reject? And so you can get uh, that full thing. I'd encourage you to look at it, hopefully not while we have this conversation, uh, but afterward, please go look at it. Please go read it. There's been a lot of work poured into it across all 10 congregations. You can find that at redemptionaz.com slash gospel and race, all spelled out. Uh, redemptionaz.com slash gospel and race. So please check that out. That will go much more in depth in, into a lot of different things. And um, actually, if we wanted to really go in depth with it, we would end up with probably a three-hour conversation, which is what we recorded. So uh, Seth and Tyler Johnson and myself actually sat down a number of months ago and recorded a three-hour training walking through this 20-point document that we made available to pastors and to elders and to RC leaders and to lots of leaders across redemption. And the feedback from that was that it was actually helpful enough that we thought, you know what, let's just make that available. So that's actually also available right now. You can download it on the Inside Redemption podcast. Um, it's available, it's long, um, but if you wanna go more in depth on that specific statement of affirmations and denials, that, that will be the place for it. So with all that, let's talk about how the biblical story shapes the gospel and race. So I'd wanna start with, you know, we'll go creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Before we even get to creation, though, we should probably start with God, God himself. So Wayne, tell us, how, how does who God is as a triune God inform who we are made in his image? So what, one of the things we see in scripture, we learn about just the nature of our God, which just leads into the creation narrative, uh, is, is, is that he said, let us create man in our image and likeness. This gives you this thought about who God is and his, his, his divine character manifesting himself, Father, Son, Spirit, one God, one God, but diverse in, in how he reflects himself and yet still not separate once. This is the first thing we see 
about God and we, we start to off the top know that he is imaging himself and, and, and how he wants to, to start laying things out and, and creating. First and foremost, God is triune and yet one. He is diverse in and of himself. All the diversing of giftings are, are from God, everything else, he's diverse, but he is, he is one God. We see that, this, this unity in God starting at the beginning. Yeah, so the diversity is the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit. But the unity is the Son is God, and the Spirit is God, and the Father is God. So in, in God, we see diversity and unity. And so then we're made in God's image. So uh, Frank, talk, talk about that idea. I mean, that's a, that's a big term that has to shape our understanding of this issue, is that we're made in the image of God. What does that mean? It is, and it's interesting because <clears throat> there have been many theories floated about what that actually means. And I think it encompasses a lot of different aspects, but the primary aspect, I would argue, because it's right there in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2, is that being made in the image of God is that we are primarily relational beings, we are community self-arranging beings, because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are also in relationship and they are in community. But one of the most important aspects of that community and of that relationship is that uh, the Father, Son, and the Spirit are all yielded to each other. Hmm. They're shy towards each other. Um, In our fallen nature, we tend to want power. We want status. We want dominance. And yet God models for us in his holiness and in his beauty, he models this yieldedness there. Jesus is always talking about what the Father is doing and how the Spirit is going to come. The Father talks about his Son and the Spirit. The Spirit is pointing us to the Father and, and the Son. That's the way we should be in relationship and community as well. And that's how we would image God. Yeah. So, and so being made in the image of God, Chris, I mean, this is, this is why every person has dignity regardless of social status, regardless of economic status. I mean, all these ways that maybe the world would want to try to break us up and divide us and go, these people are better than these people. We'd say, no, the the teaching of the Imago Dei that we're made in the image of God says something really powerful about everybody. Yeah, and and even if I I think about that, the whole story of the Bible is one of of reconciliation for the nations. Hmm. You know, you think about... The end of the story, and we you're get getting to ahead now. You're getting ahead. That's at the end of the conversation. Go ahead, though. Yeah. Uh, well, well, that's where I, we're going. But go ahead. Right. I'm, I'm not going to ruin it for you. Okay. Believe good. that. <laughs> I know how it ends, though. Already. So, <laughs> the the whole end of the story is every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping together before the throne, right? Yeah. And the biblical story is God's image bearers, mm. and, and if you look at the whole story, so I'm in a, I, I lead a multi-ethnic church. We have a bilingual service. And when you talk about God's image, a lot of people who are living in the shadows, who uh, have, uh, you know, there's not a a a superiority, it's more of an inferiority Mm. complex. People who are living in fear, people who are looked down upon, right? And as they're image bearers, and and one of the things I love about the biblical story with that is, you see the whole biblical story is one of immigration, Mm. Right? from Abraham getting called to go to a foreign nation hmm. to uh, Joseph uh, getting involuntary, right, sold off into, uh, into slavery, right? He's an involuntary immigrant to, to Jacob and his family coming to Egypt from, from Israel going out of Egypt to, to the promised land and wandering. It's just like this story 
over and over and over of God's image bearers moving across, across the world, right? And, and, and God is bringing together the, his image bearers, his nations together. Yeah. So we're made in God's image. We have, relate, you know, in, in Genesis 1 and 2, there's a relationship with God. There's relationship with one another. Everyone's comfortable in their own skin. And then, you know, whenever I tell a, little, a story to my little kids, uh, they're not as little anymore, but I, I always say, and then something terrible happened. So something terrible happened in Genesis 3. Humanity rebelled. You might say they fell, but we'd probably rather say they rebelled. We don't trip into sin. We decide to do it. Um, and so how, Seth, does, how does the rebellion of humanity um, begin to distort the image of God in general, but especially how does it begin to lead to division and uh, stratification as it relates to this issue? Yeah, what's key as we think through the fall is where it comes from is we have God, Trinity, you know, unity and diversity, and how in creation it was part of God's design and his heart and his intent to have one human race and multiple ethnicities. And so these multiple ethnicities are designed to develop and create cultures of do and have dominion, to be fruitful and multiply. And this is part of that designed diversity as a reflection of the triune God that Chris got at, at the end, that the glory of the honor of the nations are brought into the new creation. And so it's not like in the new creation we go back to a single culture, but there's actually this, this, this unity and diversity is actually maintained in humanity in the new creation. But what we see right away in Genesis 4 and on is tribal conflict starts to kick up. And so what you see is first you have the family system breakdown, you have Adam blame Eve, then you have uh, brothers fighting, and then the story escalates quickly into tribal warfare. And now you, all of a sudden you have these developing of ethnic hostility, and it's my tribe, your tribe. And so on a smaller scale, you know, a lot of what we're seeing today is uh, before we even get to like the, the multipli multiplicity of races that are consolidated down, but you have this ethnic tension that develops. And so this like ethnic distinctions are not a result of the fall, but ethnic division and hostility mm -hmm. and divisiveness are a result of the fall. Yeah. And so sin impacts us individually. That's the way a lot of us experience it the most is like my own struggle with sin, my own, you know, sense of, man, I fall short of the glory of God. Um, and that's significant, right? So, so one kind of division that might exist is the, the kind of division in your own hearts that thinks of ourselves as better than someone else because of whatever sort of quality about us or about them. Um, but we also see, I guess maybe I'd ask the question this way, Wayne, how, how broad is the devastation of sin? Is, yep. it, is it just impact individual people or, or is it bigger than that? So when we start looking at the devastation of sin and, and all the ripple effects of the fall, all the ripple effects of this separation, and when you're thinking about in, 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 in God's heart and mind, designing mankind inside of his image and likeness and, 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 and thinking what's good is that mankind would be diverse and, 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 and in that diversity it would, it would show depth of who he is then you start to see even more so why there is such a spiritual warfare for there to be deep separation. And then you start to see um, things built around that separation, things built to enforce that separation. All the way throughout um, scripture, things that are, are, are built around partiality, keeping um, humanity separated, and, 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 and not 
um, functioning as one, keeping people either starting and people responding, a whole bunch of things. And you see this happening throughout the globe. Mm. You see this happening everywhere. So we see this inside the, 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 the biblical narrative for sure. And we, we, we look forward to where we're at right here. And, and we think even in today's time, how do you see these things specifically manifesting themselves, knowing that this is something that's all is ripple effects of the fall. So it's, it's global, it's in, in, this, in this impact of, 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 of hindering the diverse um, humanity from functioning together as one in, in a reflection of God. Something that Wayne said reminded me of this, that one of the first symptoms we see of the fall, and this is, you kind of see Adam acting as the first secular humanist, right? <laughs> there, all of a sudden there's a problem, separation from God, there's already relational tension, and he goes, I'm going to solve this problem myself, and they make for themselves fig leaves, right? And there's, there's this, I'm going to solve my sin problem apart from God, and mm -hmm. that's basically secular humanism's whole attempt to try to save society. And I think that's one of the reasons why the biblical doctrine of sin, especially the rates of this topic, needs to be front and center, even as we discuss this, mm. as individuals are sinners and there are demonic principalities and powers reigning over this present darkness. And so there's a whole, like, tribes of people trying to talk about this topic who are either saying it's all individuals or who are saying it's all systems and structures. Whereas the biblical doctrine of sin is saying there are demonic forces ruling and sin is contagious and sin is cultural and sin is regurgitated in and passed on from parents. And so as kind of reformed people, we're going, sin is bigger, deeper, wider, conscious, unconscious, and it's places we don't even know it is. Yeah. And so if you try to reduce this racial tension problem or the ethnic tension problem to some purely sociological issue, you end up kind of making fig leaves like Adam did, and you try to create solutions that don't actually solve problems. They may put Band-Aids on stuff, but they don't really solve problems. Yeah. And so that's why I think clinging to like a truly robust individual and corporate view of the way that sin spreads and is reinforced and enforced is crucial for us. The, the Ephesians 6, demonic powers, and the Genesis 3, you disobeyed God, and both of these things fit together in a way that I think makes sense for me, the way that a lot of people want to reduce it to individual or systemic, and even the way that different political ideologies shape and thrust that, that if some people, discussions around structural contagious sin, yeah. you think you're ignoring individual sin, or if you talk about individual sin, you're ignoring structural sin, and it's like the Bible talks about both of those, and so if we throw any of those out, we're in real danger, and we're kind of doing the Thomas Jefferson thing of cutting out parts of scripture and becoming uh, secular yeah. humanists. Yeah, so what we see is that the, the problem's so deep and the problem's so broad that any attempt to just fix it with human ingenu in, ingenuity, what's the word? Something like that, you know what I'm saying. The, the try to fix it with that just isn't gonna work, right? Even in Genesis 11, you have the Tower of Babel. Right. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's show that we can do life without God. We just can't do it. Um, so this problem is so big that actually God himself has to come get involved. That's what we're all preaching through in the Gospel of John. So um, what does Jesus do? Uh, and either of you guys can take this. What, what does Jesus do to begin to uh, not just heal the race problem, but the deepest problem of the human heart, which is sin? Yeah. Well, I mean, you see sin affects everything, right? It, it has gone into everything in all of creation. And, and so it needs a, a, a solution that is powerful to fix the whole creation, right? And so for God so loved the world, right? He loved the world that he sent his one and only son, right? He, Jesus, Jesus came 
to heal the world, to redeem the world, to redeem his creation, right? It's broken. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And so he meant, he came to, to put it back together, right? And it's, and we know it's an already, but not yet. And so we know that Jesus is already, uh, uh, you know, um, consummated his kingdom, like his kingdom is now, but it's not yet. So we're waiting and, and we're longing for Jesus to once and for all put it all together. And one of the challenges in the biblical story is when you talk about the division that has resulted from sin, uh, the boundaries that are set up, the protectionism that's set up, is that God's people were not immune to that either. And in the Old Testament, God's idea of his people were that they were to be a light to the nations, and instead they wanted to lord over the nations. But then even internally, they had division because of sin. So you want to talk about structures or systems or whatever. Everything is broken, including in God's people. And so when Jesus comes and he starts talking to God's people and the leaders of God's people, the religious leaders, he had a message that turned them upside down, made them mad. He, he's talking about the reconciliation and the restoration of everything, including the Gentiles, and that really torqued the religious leaders, mm -hmm. God's people who were leading God's people. So yeah. you see Jesus being the answer, but being an answer that nobody would ever think of mm. as human beings. Yeah, when Jesus doesn't come announcing the kingdom saying, I came to save individual souls, he says, the scripture says he came announcing the, that the kingdom of God was at right. hand. Now, of course, he does save individual souls. We all gloriously preach John 3, 16. Uh, you just quoted it, right? Whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. But Jesus dies on the cross. He's buried. He's resurrected. He's ascended. And this is all to inaugurate this kingdom, this sense of going, here's what life is supposed to look like in the kingdom of God. He doesn't bring it about with uh, violence. He doesn't bring it about with the sword. He brings it about actually through sacrifice and through, through his own death. And um, there's something that happens then in the death of Christ. Ephesians 2 especially speaks to this. Maybe one of you guys could, could riff on that. But, but how, do, how, does, how does Paul in Ephesians 2 kind of say, hey, this gospel that reconciles us to God also begins to reconcile us to each other? Well, well, one of the things that we, that we see, and, I, I don't, and I'm not sure if that was uh, where Paul was quoting at earlier, um, or too, but in this reconciliation, like God has like a specific tool, right, that, 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 that nothing else can speak into this thing the way that it should, and that's, that's the church, right? The church in and of itself, and, and how God would use the church to, to display everything that he meant for things to be displayed. In the church, in the church you would see this perfect display of what humanity looks like or should look like, um, our, our unity together and reflecting God in the midst of our diversity, that in the church you would see this, the church on the display that comes from the church would speak to principalities and, and power that are shaping idolatry of, of nations. But, but, but the church throughout all this time would be this ongoing witness that, that causes people to, to look at the church and say, what is it about them that, that draws them together and unifies them so that in Jesus itself, where as you talked earlier in the fall, where where there was this attempt at unity apart from Jesus, you know, but then now here in Jesus, the reconciliation 
happens in him where he is the, the point of reconciliation. He's the point of, 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 of things being unified where, where the church now, like we have the, the, the only voice and the only language that speaks deep truth to these realities despite everybody else and stuff that, that, that speak into it but can only speak limited because we are, are speaking from the, the God of creation, his intent from before the fall, his intent and the DNA that he will put in, 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 in Adam knowing that this will reflect in a diverse humanity but the only people that will get that is the church, and we see that inside of, inside of Ephesians, this mandate, this call for, for something that, that only we can do. Well, and that'll be a little bit of the next conversation, is like, what does it look like to actually live into that? But I think this is one of the things, and I know you guys, I think, will agree with me, is like, what grieves me as a pastor is to go, we've got this world that is obsessed with diversity, yeah. obsessed, they would, probably wouldn't use the word reconciliation quite as much, but there's kind of this diversity-obsessed world without the resources to pull it off. That's right. And then a church with the resources to pull it off and kind of ho-hum yes. interest in it. And I feel like, man, think about what we could show the world if we would, having been loved by Christ, having been reconciled to God, what if we could kind of reflect that back to the world? And I think we take for granted how radically countercultural the doctrine of the image of God was even in the first century, that you had hierarchies of humanity. And that exists in various places all over the world still today. And if we think that we take a minute for granted the fact that there's kind of a secular value of diversity, like that's something that was stolen from the church. <laughs> and we just need to say like, hey, just so you know, like God's word came up with this whole thing. And, and you're, you're, you've been yeah, the whole basis for human rights. The whole basis for human rights, the whole basis of human dignity, the whole basis of we are all, all tribes of a nation, like the, everyone's voice. That, that is a Christian idea, and it was stolen. And, and, but I think the reason that, part of the reason it was stolen, and we see this in Galatians 3, right off the bat, Peter, who knew that God had torn down the dividing wall of hostility, when the Gentiles came in, he withdrew into his tribal ethnic safe space. Was Peter really a Christian? Yes. Was Peter, did Peter really know the gospel? Yes. Was Peter really an apostle? Yes. Was Peter really still a sinner? Yes. And so you see Paul has to oppose Peter right away, like, hey, that thing that you wrote in that other book that we have in my book, next to my books, <laughs> talks about why this is unacceptable. Well, and what's fascinating there is that Paul, when he confronts Peter, he doesn't say, Peter, you're breaking the no racism rule. Yeah, you're, you're not living in line with the gospel. He says you're not walking in line with the gospel. And so I think... One of the things that we have to own as redemption church in our church's tradition is part of the reason why I think secular humanists have pillaged good things from the Bible and tried to run with them apart from God, which isn't going well, is part of the reason they've done that is because we have had tendencies to be like Peter and to withdraw into our ethnic spaces and mm. to not embrace the fact that God's broken down the divine wall. I'm not saying every individual. I'm not saying every congregation. I'm not saying there aren't congregations that do this really well. But I think on the whole, in especially like the conservative church in the United States, I think we have to kind of say, maybe the reason they try to run with that is because we fumbled it. And I think that's part of what, why we're here tonight. Yeah. So absolutely. Paul says, Paul says in Christ, emphatically, he says in Christ, we are reconciled to God mm -hmm. and we've been made ministers of reconciliation and we are new creations. And that should be on display. He also says in Ephesians 2, as you said, that through that gospel work, the, the walls of hostility have been broken down. 
And in the midst of that, we remember that Solomon also writes, you know, who can make straight what he has made crooked? The gospel is the only answer, mm. but it can't be a passive answer. Mm. It has to be something that, that we're on mission and in purpose with. Yeah, that's great. So, so Frank, uh, Chris already got us there, but tell us the end of the story. How, uh, he was so anxious to tell it, though. I know. It's so good. I know. You know Spoiler alert. <laughs> I, 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 one of my favorite verses in, in uh, Revelation 22 is when it talks about the river going down through and the tree, mm. the trees with the different fruits. Yep. And the leaves of those trees are for the healing of the nations mm. because the nations have been divided. And it's been divided because of sin. And when God restores the fallen creation in the new Jerusalem, these leaves will be provided for the healing of the nations. Mm. And that, that is a picture of this unity that God wants for us. Yeah. And that, that word nations is the word ethnos. It, it is, yes. We tend right. to presuppose our kind of Western industrialized, neatly drawn national boundaries, but they're, they're, they're tribes, they're ethnicities. They're ethnicities, that's right. So the end of the story, is every nation, tribe, and tongue enjoying Jesus together. You get a little bit more, uh, Chris, of a taste of that every week as you guys worship in multiple uh, languages. Um, how, how have you seen the beauty of the church being a preview of what we're gonna experience someday forever? Man, I, 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 you know, when we first started, when we first planted this church, I was not interested in doing bilingual. Are you bilingual? I am not fully bilingual. I think that meant no. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also not fully bilingual. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Fourth generation Mexican-American. My great-grandparents spoke English. So, and when they spoke Spanish, they spoke Spanish in front of us so that we didn't know what they were talking about. (laughs) But uh, over over the years, I've just been so blessed, you know, Mm. to, to learn, uh, more about even my, the roots of my culture and, and, uh, and the Mexican culture and the, the familial, the family, the connection, the, the, it, it really, we're, we're a tight-knit family there. And I, I love to see people who uh, are trying to learn Spanish and people are trying to learn English and they're trying to cross those, those boundaries and loving each other even, even when they don't even know what they're talk, each other are talking about yeah. all the time. And, and it's just a huge blessing. Yeah. Well, the thing I hope that you hear, because, again, we want you to go back. Uh, we want you to look at the detailed uh, description of the things we're affirming, the things we're denying related to this issue. We haven't begun to, you know, cover all of it. And, again, you can find that at redemptionaz.com slash gospel and race. Uh, check all that out. But the thing that I hope you really hear from this conversation, and I'm going to invite Josh Butler from Redemption Tempe to begin to come up so he can pray for us. But what I hope you'll hear in this is like what we're driven by is our love for what God is doing and has done through Jesus. That's what's shaping this. That's what's driving this. Um, and uh, that's what ultimately is going to give us hope. So, Josh, uh, will you pray for us? Gladly. Yeah, would you join me? in prayer, join me in spirit, whether you're online, watching online, or here in the room right now. Let's join in the spirit in prayer. Thank you, Jesus, that you have called us into one kingdom that is every nation, tribe, and tongue. Lord, that you have made us one body with many parts. 
God, animating us, God, with your one spirit, expressing yourself, Holy Spirit, through a diversity of gifts amongst your people. Thank you, Jesus, that you have called us into a kingdom to be a people who are, who is diversity in union. God, I thank you. I believe you do this because you are diversity in union, that you are the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, an eternal communion of holy love who has created us in your image, God, to reflect that diversity in union as a people. Lord, we grieve the impact of sin in our world, God. We grieve the history of the sin of racism in our country, God, the way that it has impacted and infiltrated the social fabric of our country, God, the way that it has impacted uh, the church in America as well, God. God, we grieve the division even of our moment, Lord, the way that on all various sides of this conversation, God, that is the church in America, the conversation has so often been more partisan than prophetic. God, we grieve the vices the, in the ways that at times as your people in America that we've been known for as Christians in America in conducting this conversation, vices like bitterness. God, we repent, God, we lament of bitterness, of slander, of self-righteousness, of pride, God, of a lack of charity towards brothers and sisters in Christ and patience in this conversation with one another. And so, Jesus, we declare tonight that you are our hope, Lord. You are our hope and our leader, and so we ask you, Jesus, to guide and to lead us as your people by your spirit, God, that we would embody your kingdom, Lord, your multi-ethnic kingdom, your kingdom of diversity and union across all sorts of various dividing lines in our culture, God, that you would draw us and unite us together through the very presence of your spirit, Lord. Jesus, we pray that you would guide us and lead us to follow you as persons, God, as families, as communities, God, as, as congregations and as one church united in our love for you and in the power of your very presence, Jesus. Give us guidance, give us wisdom, give us discernment, give us boldness, give us courage uh, for the season ahead, God. We love you and God, we pray all these things, Jesus, under your authority, for your glory, and in the power of your holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, the people sitting on this stage with me um, are incredibly gifted and powerful, uh, anointed men and women of God. And I, I have to tell you that all of them feel like they're experts in this uh, subject. That's meant to be a joke. Anybody who... <laughs> Anybody who feels like an expert should not be on this stage. You don't get into this and feel like you become an expert. You actually get into this and feel farther and farther from understanding the complications of this. So what I'm gonna do quickly is have them introduce themselves, what redemption you are at, and then maybe the organization you work for, uh, and then we'll, this will be the easiest question you answer tonight. So we'll start over here. I go to Redemption Alhambra in the house. Yes. And Your uh, name? I'm Melissa. <laughs> and I work at Elevate Phoenix. Thank you, Melissa. And hi, I'm Sandy Cooper, and I go to Redemption Gilbert. Yes. And I work for the Chandler School District. Thank you. I'm Emma Tautolo, and I go to Redemption Tempe. Yes. 
And uh, I work for a sports ministry called Athletes in Action. I feel like I, I don't know if my people are here, but <laughs> they're clapping online. I am a pastor at Redemption Tucson. That's right. Marcus and Doe. Marcus Doe. And I'm Aaron Daly. I, I'm co-pastoring or lead pastor with Wayne Winter at Redemption Alhambra. I'm also a part of the executive team. And I just want to stay. I'm not going to do a lot of talking tonight, just try to mediate some of these conversations. But I will tell you this. I often feel like I care way too much about the topic of race. Uh, I go to many circles like this, and I feel like I'm the only one crying when a lot of people are just, yeah, it's, it's not that big of a deal. I have constantly felt a burden when it comes to this. And it shows in my life and in everything that I've tried to do, and I don't see myself doing anything else for the rest of my life. But engaging in such a broken area, one in which we need to be clear, is not of God. And I thank the team that was up here before showing us that biblically we should have a deep conviction on this. I, I want to say this, convictions are clean. So it's clean to have good convictions. It's dirty to get in the mess. The incarnation is another doctrine that we talked a lot about the Trinity early. The incarnation is another doctrine in which God did not see fit to just make laws on tablets, but he took on flesh and got into the mess and took the mess upon himself and came into the dirt, if you will. And so tonight what we're going to talk about is the gospel is never a gospel that's preached in word only. And if it is, we're pharisaical. The gospel is meant to be word and deed. You're actually not a theologian if you just articulate it well. You're a theologian when you live out what you believe. When you live out what you believe. These people on this stage are doing all that they can to live into those. And so this first section is about proximity. And if the gospel is good news, and it's not just stuff written on pages, um, what is it? that brought these things alive to you as you got proximate? How did you get close to this and you started seeing it? Emma, I'm going to ask you that. What, what ways have you got close to this conversation? On race? Yeah, so I played basketball in college. And so after I was done in college, I joined staff with this sports ministry that I was involved in that helped like, change my life as I tried to walk with Jesus in college. And um, I joined staff with them. I was mad excited. Like, I love doing evangelism. I was like, I just want to lead everybody to Christ, every athlete I came across. Um, and so I joined staff, and I, there was two observations I made pretty quickly okay. um, that kind of really affected me when I first came on. So the first one was I came on to this sports ministry to reach the diverse world of athletics, but in a room of 500 staff, you could count on one, maybe two hands, the people of color that were on staff serving. Wow. And I was like, this, there is something wrong with this picture. Like, right. where, is, where are the people of color to, to come alongside and do this together? So there was a, there was a diversity issue that I was like, what, what's going on? And then secondly was that um, we were zealous, came on staff to sh like share the gospel and disciple athletes in the ways of Jesus. Um, but something I noticed was just there was a lack of integrated conversations mm. around things that 
my teammates and I talked about all the time, race, culture, economic disparity, um, these things, like I was like, there was a lack of any engagement in these really big social issues that we talked about all the time, yeah. that athletes talked about all the time, student, college students were talking about and hearing about in classes all the time, and yet we were not even having these conversations. And so, and we, we talked a lot about we wanna reach every, but I'm like, we, there was no, I, I could see it clearly. There's no way we're reaching every without this really important engagement of how does the gospel intersect yeah. with culture, with race, with these things college students, athletes are talking about. And so uh, kind of out of that, something was birthed called the Lenses Institute. It kind of just deformed and developed with a group of experts, theologians, pastors mm. that we kind of brought in like, we need help. We want to reach everyone with the gospel, but we are deficient in this area. And so it kind of developed into this five-day intensive training platform where we have these really hard conversations about this. But uh, And so right, right at that point, I kind of dove in deep, dove in hard, and dove in all the way and was like, Lord, help me to, to shepherd your people into a more holistic view of what mission is, that we would, that all community, that truly every, yeah. right, every community and the, the social issues that these communities are being affected by, um, that we would be able to engage the gospel. In. Because I knew, I knew enough as a call, as a little 22-year-old, I knew enough that the gospel spoke to yeah, this, but yeah. we weren't equipped to do it. And so that's kind of where I dove in and how I got in. So. Love it. Melissa. Um, <laughs> I would have to say just hope because I came out of some pretty impossible circumstances in my life. Yeah. Um, and the Lord not only allowed me to survive, but has brought me freedom. And, and so that is the reason why I go into any ministry of reconciliation, because he first reconciled himself to me. That's right. And so I can't um, ignore that part of what I do, why I do, um, without first acknowledging that when my father left, my heavenly father never did. Yes. You know, when my ex-husband left, mm. He remained my husband. You know, when my mother fell weak to addiction, he was my strong tower. Mm. Like, he has been faithful time again and again, and he has drawn near to me in those times and in the good times. And so when I um, lead ministries like the homeless ministry we do on Saturdays at Alhambra, when I press into low-income families and foster care initiatives, when I, you know, press into mass incarceration and, and propositions that will help, that's because my brother's in prison, number one. <laughs> yeah. But also, like, I, the Lord never forgot about me. He brought me in. Yes. You know, and so I have felt that as a Chicana, as a brown woman, you know, two layers of, like, I'm constantly having to face, you know, the partiality of every world. And the church is not exempt from that yeah. in every room that I go to. Yeah. And so the Lord says, oh, come here, come on. You're my daughter yeah. every time. And so that compels me um, as a brown woman to press into relationships with white brothers and sisters when it would be easier to fall back. Yeah. Um, but in all the ministries that we do to integrate that and to truly display the kingdom of God. So... Marcus, yes. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Sound like y'all at a golf tournament or something. Come on. 
When I was a third grader, 1987, I was sitting in my classroom and my teacher, for the first time, told me the story of a man named Nelson Mandela. How he had been in prison for 20 plus years in South Africa because of apartheid. He told me the story, he told us the story of Abraham Lincoln and slavery in America. He told me the story of Jesse Owens in the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. He told me the story of Martin Luther King Jr. and the Civil Rights Movement in America. I grew up in a country in West Africa, Liberia, and those stories were told to me there. That country was founded by freed slaves from here. And it hit me as an eight-year-old sitting in my classroom driving home or driving home with my dad. And the question that I kept asking that kept coming up in my little world was, why do white people treat black people so bad, so mean? What did we do? What did my ancestors do that we're treated this way? When I became a teenager, I followed Nelson Mandela, and I saw that when he became president, when he was set free, one of his jailers, the one, the man who was his guard that walked with him everywhere, when he became president, he didn't exact revenge on that man. Mm. He gave that man a job in his office, gave him dignity. And when I saw that, I think it was 92 or 93, I thought, and I want that to be a part of my life. Mm. So that's how I got involved in racial reconciliation. Well, I've worked for a school district for about a little over 30 years now. And so I stepped into the work of equity primarily in my role as a school administrator. And I believe in public education, but I'm, I was keenly aware that there's an academic achievement gap and it's across public schools across the United States primarily based upon socioeconomic status and highly correlated to race. So about four or five years ago, the Chandler School District began to, to break out student data and to look at it by race and by socioeconomic status, by gender, other criteria. And we started to dig deep into the barriers that were really impacting or limiting our students' ability to be successful at school. Mm. So I was tasked to help lead this, um, this effort and so I've spent considerable time over the last few years just trying to gain some understanding and some knowledge about it. And uh, this was the first time I ever had open conversations about race. So just a little bit about me. I'm from a small town, predominantly white, in the West Texas area and was raised in the Southern Baptist Church in the Bible Belt. And I was taught in my Sunday school, by my Sunday school teachers, I was taught by my parents to be colorblind and actually maybe not to talk about race at all. And um, so this was a new experience for me to start to have honest and open conversations with people of color, my colleagues, the students, parents, and to hear their stories and their lived experiences. And uh, so tonight I certainly don't have near enough time to explain everything that I've learned, but one thing that comes to mind that I want to express was that um, these conversations expose some misunderstanding, yeah. 
some, uh, some inaccurate assumptions I'd made that it limited my ability to, to empathize with people, to even understand the complexities of this problem. And if you don't really understand the depth and the scope of the problem, it's very hard for you to try to address it. So I would just say that I, those conversations have totally changed my perspective. That's good. You can give these guys a hand. If you want to clap, you're allowed to clap. Thank you, all of you. Um, I, I'm gonna, this is a rapid fire question because I want us to get to this, but I, I, the way we have talked about this thus far has felt a little clean to me. Anybody in this actual work knows how messy it is. So not only is it proximate, once you get proximate, pain is a part of it. You cannot get into this conversation and not experience pain. I know that you have experienced pain in one way or another. I would love, they've talked about spiritual warfare. You talked about misunderstandings. We've, we've used all kinds of words. Let's, how do those spiritual warfare, uh, misunderstandings, how do they manifest in uh, attacks or obstacles uh, that you guys have seen Let's call those things to the light. What are, what are things, I'll start with you, Melissa, what are things that you have experienced pain, discrimination uh, against you that you go, that, that happens. Every time you step here, this happens. Oh, wow, that's a loaded question because there's several, several experiences, lifelong. Um, but intentionally as a Christian, my last 15 years being saved, pressing into this has been... I would say the insecurity that you feel as a person of color and as a woman on top mm. of that, um, constantly like you're not valued. Mm. Your voice doesn't matter. You don't know what you're talking about. Or if you do say something, why are you so angry? You know, mm. tone it down. Yeah. Like I can't fully be myself or feel at home in a lot of these areas, and yet I, I press on, That's it. you know, because I believe that this is what the gospel has called us to do. Um, it would be so much easier to not press in, and that's the mess, is that at the end of the night, you know, you carry that in your soul, and, and it hurts, and it feels personal because it is. It's not theological. It's not political. Like, I'm a person. Yeah. And this is how a lot of people see me. And this is in daily interactions. And I can choose to stay in my little lane and my world and feel comfortable and, and where it's easy and clean. Or I can go and risk people, you know, calling me names, getting mad at me, unfriending me. Um, not on social media. I mean, like, actually not yeah. being my friend yeah. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... The, the, the hard part is that that affects the weight of, of my role as a wife and as a mother and as everything else in my life. Like, that ministry of reconciliation bleeds into every area and then is messy in every area. No, no part is untouched. Every part is, it's good. is messy. Marcus, what would you call out as some spiritual warfare or obstacles that come against those in those places? I think there are, there are several. Uh, one of the things I would say is, I, I'm not speaking of out there, I'm speaking of in the church. Um, there is a sense, and you may feel it, but I feel it, 
uh, let me know if you do, of when I walk into a room, I feel as though I am an unwelcome guest in some places. Mm. I feel as though the image of God in me is not trusted, if you understand what I'm saying. I'm, yeah. I won't preach right now. Come on. Uh, <laughs> I feel as though for some reason, I'm just not as accepted. Mm. I'll give you, I mean, let me get down to the root of this real quick. May 2016, I graduate from one of the best seminaries in the country, and I'm out trying to find a place to serve as an African-American pastor. And one of my professors had this conversation with me. He said, Marcus, you will have a hard time finding a congregation because not many predominantly white churches will think of considering you to be a pastor. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes. And when he said that to me, it jolted me because it hit me like a ton of bricks. Is this really so... Is this really still happening, right? You wonder in, in certain parts of the country where you see there is two Baptist churches, right? There's a first Baptist and maybe a second Baptist, right? <laughs> there are two, you know, hey, are you here? There, there are AME churches and then there is the, the Methodist church or the Episcopal church. You wonder why that's happening, right? Because historically, African-Americans were not welcome to worship in spaces, right? And for me to be as qualified as I was, and not being given the opportunity simply because somebody doesn't trust the image of God in me to lead a congregation, to me was hurtful. Yeah. You understand yeah. what I'm saying? Yes. That's where I am. Sandy. Well, thank you for that. I thought about this. What kind of obstacle have I seen and experienced? And I believe that the mistaken view by well-intentioned people that somehow racism is an unfortunate part of our settled past is one of our greatest obstacles. Come on. And unfortunately, looking back, I count myself in that category. There were times when I looked at how the world had changed so much since I was a child, and I thought, wow, look, we made such great strides. Look where we are now. And it was not until I had conversations with people like Melissa and Marcus, and they told me how differently they are treated every day than I am, I realized I had been incredibly naive. And I basically, I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm. And so I believe that there might be other people out there like me that want to lean into this space and want to understand and, um, and, and realize what they're facing today and how to be a part of the solution. Well, um, so one of the hurtful things that's really come out in this last uh, 12 months is any time that, like, I talk about, or my organization, anytime we talk about things like systemic sin, or we bring up the word justice, um, anytime you want to talk about racial reconciliation, um, we have been accused, I have been personally accused of not being a Christian, Mm. of being a socialist, Marxist, critical race theorist. And I'm like, what in the whole world is going on right now? (laughs) Like, I'm like, this is wild. But, but that, that has been thrown at me so many times this year. There's been, um, using the gospel to sort of silence. Like, um, people say things like this a lot to me. They'll be like, Emma, you know, 
you really should just stick to the gospel, using the gospel as a means to silence us speaking about social issues that disproportionately affect communities. Like there's issues that won't affect me as much as they'll affect the most marginalized communities in our cities, the most, the least, the last, the most left out. And so the people will use the gospel to try and silence us speaking out about that. And then just this really, like, I really feel like it's, demonic yes. but there's the, these two camps that have developed of pitting um, social concern and justice against evangelism and salvation and I'm like this is so painful because these camps were never supposed to be separated yeah, yeah. but th but they have been and it it jacks with the mission of God that I'm so that I care so much about helping to mobilize people for God's mission and so those have been just super hurtful in the process of how do you push against those things, you know, so. Can you do me a favor? I, I, I want to just kind of wrap this up. We had another question, but I'm going off the cuff a little bit. I want us as a church to um, acknowledge that them sharing these stories and their vulnerabilities is not easy. And that is the family of God. These are our brothers and sisters. Can we affirm that together? Yeah. I, I want this to be a church in which we are reflecting this and not just talking about it. That's why we're up on this stage. I want us to be a church that practices what we preach. Gotta get good sermons. I love preaching. It's one of my favorite things to do. One of the big questions that comes at us, and I wanna just end with this. One of the big questions that comes at us that they exposed in their experiences when you step into this, you expect pain. There's not one person who's stepped into this. And if you're not wanting pain and you think, I'll step in and I'll be the exception. I have a clean way of fixing this. Uh, you won't step into it. You will be called names. You will be face religious barriers. You'll face institutional barriers. You'll have friendships lost, you will uh, face all your insecurities, you will confront every log in your own eye. But I tell you this, the gospel is worth all of it. The gospel's worth all of it. It's the pearl of great price. It's selling everything that we could have the one great pearl. I've had this question a lot. And I wanna just try to answer this for you who may be asking, how can we fix this? That's self-righteousness talking. That question at its core is self-righteous. You think that we can fix this? Or do you think we're just supposed to be faithful presence in it? If our only question is, fixing something, we've departed from grace. The other thing I want you to hear in this is grace compels you 
It doesn't measure. So no church should be measured by how many black and brown and white that. You shouldn't walk in and go, this is a church measured by the color of people. You don't measure. Grace is not a measuring stick. It's the empowerment of God for us to live into this. So when we walk by grace, you should not feel like, well, we, how do we measure up? This should be no. Because the spirit of God dwells within us and has covered us in his righteousness, we can live into this. In all of its mess and all of its brokenness, we can live into this. Grace should compel you into it. So you better get really, really concerned with seed throwing rather than fixing things. Scripture says this to us, that the way we address sin is by planting new seeds. When you've planted seeds of the flesh, you've reaped seeds of the flesh. Here's what I'll say. The way we are now is because we've been planting seeds in the flesh for a long time. We're reaping the harvest of all the fleshly seeds we've been planting. To fix that, Galatians 6 says, plant new seeds and wait for a new harvest. So if we're just trying to fix it, we'll try to get the quickest way to get there. But if we want a new harvest, Galatians says this, be patient. Don't give up in doing good, because in due season, you'll reap a harvest. Before Luke and Tyler come as they make their way up here, I want to encourage our church to start throwing seeds. You will never care about this issue by reading another document. You won't. You won't care about it. When you hear stories like this, you'll start caring. When you sit at tables with people, you'll start caring about their stories. Some of our problems is we're still hiding behind fig leaves. It's amazing that white papers are made out of leaves. We're hiding behind our white papers and we need to take on flesh and get into relationships. Church, get in the mission field. The harvest is ripe. The laborers are few. Thank you so much. Thank you all, man. Where do you want to set, Ty? I know it's uneven chairs, so. Yeah, let me go here. Um, can we thank uh, those folks again? I think that uh, that reality of stepping into relationship over and over and over and knowing it's gonna be painful over and over and over without even maybe a hope but not an expectation that it's gonna get easier or better. That's faith, isn't that faith? And I'm so thankful and encouraged by, by that. So Tyler, good to see you brother. Good to see you Luke. Um, thanks for being here tonight and uh, this will be our last conversation and then uh, Josh Miles, well Josh Watt will pray and then Josh Miles will lead us finally in a song. Um, so Tyler, your official title has been lead pastor of Redemption Arizona, but I really kind of think of you uh, as like kind of the, the leader of the redemption movement. Um, you've had a l local role here at Gilbert at different points, but right now it's really kind of leading the entirety. So we want to talk really about kind of three particular things with you tonight. So the first one is, is kind of the so what of this. So uh, we talked earlier about um, the end of the story is every nation, tribe, and tongue. 
uh, gathered before Jesus in unity. Uh, we heard just a moment ago about the work of reconciliation and the things that people are doing. When you think about this 10 years from now, Redemption Church in 10 years, um, what do you hope is more true of us because of pushing into love through this issue? Yeah, I want to start. So we've done this already, but there's hundreds of people watching online. And I want to thank you. And then I want to thank all of you in this room, because this begins to be a picture of a dream that I would have in whatever role I'm in. And and the challenge of this moment is when you sit in a seat like I'm sitting in and you get a moment like this, every temptation in you is to be performative, like make it sound good, make it sound crisp. Um, I'm not certain the next five minutes are going to sound good or crisp. I'm not, you're not known for crisp. <clears throat> I'm not known for crisp. For those that know you. Or clear, probably. So th- some, um, of you, some of you, I, I remember being in a Bible study years ago with Tyler. I, don't, I wasn't even a Christian. Um, but I remember, and he was a brand new Christian. And we, he would talk, and it'd be like, at the end, I'd go, I don't know what he said. <laughs> but man, I loved it. Like... <laughs> And uh, got you to Arizona. He's, got, like. he's gotten clearer than that, um, a little. Uh, so crisp, not going to be crisp. Here we go. Yeah, but <laughs> this is um, this is it. I mean, and, and meaning it is it is a it is an initial step in to what I know God has for us. Hmm. Um, and what I mean by that, Paul started tonight, and he mentioned that um, when the church is spoken of in Ephesians chapter three. He speaks that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, and that word means multifaceted, and Paul spoke out that it's like multifaced is a way you could think about it. And if you you chart the course of Ephesians 2 and 3, um, that's a really accurate representation. And Paul has a prayer in Ephesians 3 where his prayer is that we would comprehend with all of God's people what is the height in width, in breadth, in length, in depth of the love of God. Hmm. Now, if churches and gospel people aren't fundamentally about us encountering the fullness of the love of God and its height and its depth and its breadth and its width, I don't know what we are. Hmm. And what Paul's saying is we cannot experience that without each other. Hmm. It's impossible. It's impossible for us to experience the fullness of the love of God if we don't see each other, see the image of God like Marcus talked about, see the glory of God, as he says, in the face of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus is the one who says, when you fed them, you fed me. Right? That when we see in each other's faces where we see Jesus. And that's what I want. I mean, I just sit there and go, if if I'm some form of a Christian minister, and that's not what we want is our people to experience the love of God. And so then you have to ask these questions like, what gets in the way of that? And I think about this passage in Acts 3 when Peter says that we would repent that times of refreshing would come upon us. And that's always been a really compelling passage to me, likely because of the phrase refreshing, that we would experience these refreshing waters of Jesus. But the condition of that is repentance. And so I think my ultimate hope would be that we would embrace these incredible tenets of the history of the church, that all of life is repentance. We should never be a people that are scared to repent or be a people that are scared to be uncomfortable. I want to read you a passage that I think is a great 
passage as we lead out, and it's in 1 Peter 2.21, and Peter's speaking about um, people living faithfully and encountering opposition to that, even to the point of being beaten and losing all kinds of things. And then he says this, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Mm. And I think so often we don't press into this because even tonight, I know sitting in this room, there are gobs of you that are different ethnicities and come from different cultural backgrounds and different economic backgrounds. And there are lots of you that are really uncomfortable already. And everything in our discomfort is to go, I don't want to suffer. And Peter's saying, Christ, our Lord suffered. (laughs) You too Mm. are called to suffer and to follow in his steps. Mm. And I think that it seems like this pursuit of reconciliation, read Ephesians 2 and 3, is just rot. It's rot with suffering. And I, Mm. I literally got tears in my eyes when Aaron was talking is, I don't want to be a church that hides behind white papers. I don't want to be a church that avoids being challenged to be biblical, but I don't want to hide behind it. I want to get dirt under our fingernails with each other. Like I want to, you know, I want to have each other's tears on our laps um, of that are sitting with it when we want to eject and leave that we stay at the table because that's the place where the world goes. These people like really love each other, not Mm. bumper sticker love each other, not just like, don't we love each other? But like, this is real love. That would be the dream. Yeah, I love love that vision of love because it just is like, well, that's the great commandment. Love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. And um, I know for me, in a lot of this conversation, because I can get a little defensive early on in it and and start to go, well, whoa, 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 but, 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 and and the question can too easily become, well, how racist am I? And and unfortunately, in this conversation, uh, generally, it's like, you're either a full-blown racist or you're nothing. And yet, there's all these things in between it. There's little indignities, there's little prejudices, there's little jokes, there's little jabs, there's little looks, there's little all these things. And none of that, I don't, I don't, know, I, I don't, I don't know at what point it becomes racist, but none of it is love. And, uh, and I, so I just feel so challenged to go like, this is a call to love our neighbors as ourselves, and it's gonna be sacrificial, and it's gonna be costly. And um, when the... The lawyer who listened to Jesus say, love your neighbors yourself, said, it says in Luke 10, in order to justify himself, he asked, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus' answer is basically, well, what kind of a neighbor would you want if you needed a neighbor? Be that kind of neighbor. And so, um, yeah, I don't know exactly what it looks like, but but I feel like having been loved by God, having had Jesus sacrifice for us, we have to do the same for others. Amen, amen. So the, the second thing that, that we want to talk about is just kind of related to your role. So uh, when Redemption Church first came together 10 years ago, you only had a kind of a macro role, helping provide leadership to the entirety of Redemption. A few years ago, you stepped in also to have a little bit of a part-time kind of lead pastor role here at Gilbert. Um, and now you're kind of back into that movement leader role. And um, I don't know if this is a question, but I'll just tell you kind of my vantage point of it, and you can react to it. I feel like, um, you know, I'm, Tyler mentioned earlier, I moved out here 19 years ago to be part of uh, what was at the time East Valley Bible Church, now Redemption Gilbert, and you were kind of the main, you know, attraction for uh, you kind of recruiting us out here. And um, 
in the 19 years since, I feel like a lot of my growth as a follower of Christ, not just as a pastor, as a Christian, a lot of my growth has been sort of watching you push into what's biblical and uncomfortable. And then you sort of like, with a little twinkle in your eye, sort of looking back and going, you wanna come with me? Never heavy handed, uh, never like, hey, I'm gonna drag you along whether you wanna go or not, but like going, hey, there's something better over here. And it's Jesus. And it's all that he calls us to. Come on. Come with me. And, um, and my first steps are usually like, uh, I don't know. And I get there and go, yeah, you're right. This is better. This is it, not easier, uh, but better. And, um, and so first, I'm just deeply thankful for that for you and our friendship. Uh, but I also feel like that's what I think your role is in redemption. And I don't know the best title. To, I don't know what to call that. Uh, pastor seems a little too small for that because I think a lot of times when we hear pastor, we think of just sort of a chaplain. But, but that's what I feel like you're, and not just you, right? You're, you're not leading this alone. There's plurality and there's team, but I feel like that's especially your gift to this family is to lean into what's uncomfortable and say, Hey, you want to come along? And so I just, as much as anything, want to say thank you for that. Um, and I want us to just sort of be aware. That's what you do. Now, the challenge is uncomfortable is uncomfortable. <laughs> and, that's, it, and sometimes it takes a while to go, hey, this actually is better. And sometimes it doesn't ever quite feel better, but you know it is. And so I just think it's important for us as, as kind of a redemption family to go, hey, that's where we're headed. This world is getting increasingly uncomfortable. And if we're going to be a faithful witness to him, we've got to go. So, so I don't know if you have any reactions to just that kind of what yeah, God is Yeah, probably feeds into the, the first question of um, the better is Jesus Yeah, so when he said it, the reason I, I, I get emotional is my first thought is I didn't choose any of this. And I don't mean the last season. I mean, like, I didn't choose God. He chose me. Like, I didn't choose to be a pastor. He chose me. And yet it's the, it's the best ride because Jesus is the best. Like, he really is reality. But we... Myself included, and I'll put myself at the front of the list, I don't like discomfort. I don't embrace, I don't naturally get attracted to the passages in scriptures that say, Jesus suffered, follow in his steps. I mean, I'm like, that sounds terrible, <laughs> right? Um, but it's way better. It's way better and surprisingly better. So when these promises come out of he'll do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all we ask or think. Guys, the fact is Americans view that as like health, wealth, and prosperity, basically. And not just the health, wealth, and prosperity preachers. You know, the way I like to say it in a lot of our environments is whatever's most comfortable, whatever's most convenient, what's over most safe and most secure. That's just not the way of Jesus. Hmm. Um, and so I want to make sure if any of us are tasked as leaders to lead, the Bible's very clear. Not many of you aspire the role of leader or teacher because you'll infer a stricter judgment because people can follow you. But I also know following the way of the cross um, is challenging, but it's way better. So to hear Luke say it, the reason I got emotional, 
um, is if there's an appeal, the appeal's not, hey, come be provocative. Hey, come be a person that rattles people's cages. Yeah. If redemption's ever that. a place other than just come follow Jesus, mm. I don't want to be a part of it. But I know Jesus does rattle cages, and I know Jesus is uncomfortable, and I know Jesus is calling us to go places and to pioneer paths that aren't easy. And I think that's something unique. I'm going to say this. I don't know. Unique's not the word. I don't want to say it. All I know to do is do what God's called us to do. And I do believe God's called redemption um, to walk as a faithful witness in a world that's getting more and more confusing. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Um, so Tyler, I, the scripture says that uh, give honor to whom honors do. And I think that you, you're not flawless, you're not sinless, uh, you have plenty of regrets in your leadership and in your life, but you've led our family with courage and with conviction, and I think that you deserve honor. So can we honor Tyler tonight? Thank you. So the last thing um, that we want to talk about is that um, Tyler is about to have an extended season of rest. Um, you've been faith faithfully serving in ministry for 20 years, uh, pretty uh, intensely, and um, it's time for you to have a little bit of a break. And so you've requested, and, and we want you to have, we've wanted you to have for some time, actually, the opportunity to um, have a time of rest and replenishment and refreshment. So uh, Tyler's going to begin uh, here basically soon after this, like basically this weekend, he's going to begin a five-month sabbatical um, where he's going to have the opportunity to really unplug for ministry responsibility and be able to focus on his family and um, just his own kind of tending to his soul. And uh, if you know Tyler well, you know he's incredibly relationally connected. And, um, and so if you, if you actually have Tyler's phone number, uh, please don't use it for the next five months. Um, let him call you if, if he needs to do that. But uh, man, we really want this to be just a time for you to, uh, to rest to replenish, to recalibrate a bit. And so um, as you do this, I'm, I'm curious, uh, what are you looking forward to about it? And how can we pray for you? Yeah. I'll start by saying how you can pray for me. Pray that I figure out how to rest. <laughs> um, some of you guys know my father-in-law, Tom, would always joke at how good he was at it. I'm the polar opposite. So, um, that was one thing you never learned from him. That was one thing I did not learn from him. So yeah, so I mean, I, and I think that's the thing I'm most excited about. I mean, there's a recalibrate's probably the best word I, I want for this, is there's just a lot in me that I go, this really needs to be recalibrated and living more in line with the gospel um, reality. So I think that's it. And then there's just stuff where you get, you get leading, and you, many of you experience this. If you're leading either as a mom or as an owner of a business or whatever. It's just tiring. Um, and I think there's times where I've been pretty disciplined with my kids um, to be there, like in, I don't know what, there's two words I'm looking for, but you know, I'm there physically, but not always there in terms of my energy, emotion. So there's things I'm excited to have enough energy to walk out and hit my boys ground balls and hang out with my kids and go play and, you know, do a lot of the reading stuff and hangout stuff. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then there's just times I'm 
excited to be by myself. I'm a massive extrovert, and I feel <laughs> wildly introverted right now. So I think God's yeah. saying something to me about that. Yeah, I remember once you said, I think I'm the most in- extroverted person I know. And I, yeah. If so, extroverted means getting energy from people, yeah, I'm yeah. very extroverted. Yeah, so this is not a leave of absence. This is a sabbatical. And there is an intense spiritual and emotional and relational pressure that comes from leading at the level that you've been leading for this time. And so uh, I do hope that this will be refreshing and recalibrating for you. So what I want to yep. I want to acknowledge in that there's gobs of you that never get an opportunity to do this. And I'm getting the opportunity to do this based upon your generosity, meaning the way in which the church pays our salaries yeah. is you guys generously give. That's not lost on me. And I want you guys to know that. Um, I really, really, really appreciate it um, and acknowledge that. Yeah. Well, I want to pray for you. And then uh, Josh Watt is going to come and Josh Miles uh, to lead us in a closing prayer and a closing uh, song together. So let's, let's pray for Tyler in this time of sabbatical. Father, uh, we thank you for Ty and for Haley. We thank you for Braden and Yale and Lucy and Harmony. Uh, We thank you for their family. And um, God, we pray for this next season of rest, that it would be sweet, that it would be recalibrating, that they would um, have some incredible fun, uh, some remarkable memories. Uh, God, we pray that you would use this season to um, strengthen and deepen uh, Tyler's love for Jesus and his uh, convictions and his uh, energy to lead well. Uh, God, we're excited about the future that we have uh, together, and we pray that you would use this next season to help prepare him uh, for that. So uh, we love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. So guys, this is Josh Watt. He's our newest uh, lead pastor from Redemption North Mountain. And, uh, and Josh, Josh Miles. Miles from Redemption Peoria, and they're going to uh, help close our time together. So. Thank you, Luke. Well, I want to read a passage over us, and I kind of want us to close our eyes and bow our heads. This is out of Corinthians, but it's just what God brought to mind as I've been listening all night. Paul says this to us, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Here's what stood out to me. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Father, I confess on behalf of redemption, we agree with Paul who is sufficient for these things. And at the same time, you say that we are the aroma of Christ to this earth. We are the fragrance of Jesus. We are the good news people. We're the only place that people can find hope because we have you. And as Tyler said, it's not because we found you or we sought you or we figured you out or we climbed a ladder to get to you, but you came down to us. You chose us and you came after us and now we get to spread that fragrance. So Lord, who is sufficient for these things? 
it's not us, but we're grateful to be a church that is being used by you. We pray for many years of fruitful ministry. And as Aaron said, a faithful witness in a dark world. Lord, we love you so much. And it's because you loved us first. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you. 
and give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. And give us clean hands, God. And give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Oh God, let us be the generation that seeks, that seeks your face. of us. If you would, would you extend your hands as we bless one another with a benediction? If you're online, do it in your house. No one will think you're weird. (laughs) May the God of grace, the grace of God deeper than the depths of sin, the strength of Jesus Christ stronger than all of our need, and the communion of the Holy Spirit richer than all our friendships guide us today and all our tomorrows. Peace be with you.